Welcome back to Trending in Education. Dan Strafford, Michael Palmer, Brandon Jones along with you. And on today's episode, we have a very special guest, Dan Gonzalez, co-founder of District C. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Absolutely. We'll hear from Brandon and Mike uh, momentarily. But if you could, could you give uh, everyone some background on what District C is and, and what the goals of, of the company are? Yeah, and it, if you'll indulge me, I'd, lo- I'd love to start with a story about basketball. I think it's, uh, Please. That's the right, it sets the right context for this work. So um, my, my partner in crime is Ann Jones. She's also my wife. We were out at a bar recently, uh, and up above the bar, there was a, a TV with, uh, tuned into ESPN. And they were showing an old retrospective of the 1984 NBA Finals between the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. This is, this is Larry Bird, Magic mm-hmm. Johnson, the short shorts, the yes. tall socks. You've got the image in your head. By the way, our students have no idea what I'm talking about when I say yeah. Larry Bird, but I, I know you guys know. Um, seven game series, hard fought series. They showed highlights for the full seven games and the, 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 uh, the Celtics ended up winning. As we were walking out, we kind of noted to each other in the full hour of highlights we couldn't remember seeing one three-point shot attempt i mean this is the the era of larry bird one of the best shooters in the history of the game Mm -hmm. so we came home we did some research on google as it turns out in that nba basketball season the average team attempted two three-point shots per game wow compare that with game seven of the western conference finals this past season between the warriors and and the rockets 83 combined uh, three-point shot attempts in that game. The game has has changed dramatically. And if you're a basketball fan, you know this from, from watching the game. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is to think about how preparation for the game has changed as well. So if you're a youth player these days, you're learning how to shoot the three-point shot, even if you're a tall player. Um, you're, you're learning how to fit into a, a three-point offense. You're learning how to guard the three. If you can't play in the three-point game, you're not going to have a future in, in basketball. Um, this is, a, I think, a good metaphor for the work that we're doing at District C, and I'll, I'll give you a statistic. Gallup did a survey recently. They found that just 11% of business leaders feel like recent college graduates are prepared with the skills and competencies needed for real work, 11%. That's a pretty astoundingly low number. And, and the reason is, um, you know, some might say, well, schools have not kept up. Schools are not, not doing the job that they need to do. Um, there, there's uh, two, two education economists, one out of MIT and one out of, out of uh, Harvard, who would argue schools have actually gotten better over the last 40 years at preparing students for the things that they needed to know and do 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the, the game has dramatically changed with this dynamic, fast-paced digital economy, but we're still preparing two-point shooters in a three-point economy. And so we, we uh, Ann and I founded District C um, in an effort to kind of build programs and learning experiences that, that, that might help high school students prepare themselves for, for this future economy. So when we talk about three-point shooting in this economy, to businesses, that means two things. Can you work in a diverse team to solve complex problems? Working in diverse teams to solve complex problems. So at District C, we built a program to, to give students experiences to do just that. And just quickly on, on the program, we recruit students from all over the Triangle region here in North Carolina. 
We team them up into teams of four, diverse teams from four different schools. We partner them with a local business that has a real problem to solve that is urgent and meaningful to that business. And then we coach the students through a process, a design thinking process to propose a solution to that, to that problem. And all the while they are uh, experiencing the messy conditions of real problem solving and the messy conditions that come with working with others who think, who think differently from you. So that's the District C program. Um, we are now training teachers and preparing schools to implement our program, which is kind of the second phase of our work. But, but that's it in a, in a nutshell. I hope that makes sense. It definitely uh, makes sense. Uh, Mike Palmer here, Dan. Uh, always, uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, the, the idea of uh, work, working with uh, businesses at the, at the high school level, mm-hmm. um, that's relatively novel, right? Like, is that, uh, I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, whether uh, this is like part of a movement or whether this is uh, something that's somewhat unique to, to what you're doing. Um, can you give us a little bit of context around, um, you know, how District C would be ca- categorized and whether, it, whether there's uh, a broader trend here or whether you guys are really pioneering? Um, can you give us a little bit of context? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. So I think, I think the way that we're doing it is novel. Um, the idea of partnering with businesses in the community to, to help out in the classroom um, you know, is not, is not a novel idea. I think the way that it typically happens is schools and school districts form what they call business alliances. So they'll get a bunch of partners from the, from the community. Uh, they'll ask those folks to host interns, um, to host a field trip where students will come in and tour the office for a day. Maybe a person from the business will go to the school and do a speech at lunch. Um, it tends to be very one directional. So a business or a business representative is volunteering his or her time to kind of contribute uh, in a philanthropic way to the, to the school community. What we're proposing is something a little bit different, which is the business partner actually gets value out of the relationship. So um, our, our philosophy is businesses are huge stakeholders in the development of the next generation of talent. They should care about it and they should be involved in it. And so by supplying problems for our students to work on, they're contributing to the learning experience, but they're also getting value in return. And actually 91% of our businesses after 60 days say that they are either planning to implement or have implemented the solutions that the students have presented to them. So there's real value in in the relationship for businesses. The, The second thing I would say is, Historically, it tends to be the big corporations that that engage with the education community. We have, I think, found a niche with um, smaller startups and and young businesses. We can talk quickly and directly with the CEO who's willing to sit across the table from the students and engage and workshop the student solutions. So um, small, mid-sized businesses are really hungry to do this kind of work and they see a lot of value in the work as well. So not necessarily a new thing, but I think we're putting a a new spin on it. Hey, Dan, uh, Brandon here, um, long, long time uh, co-friend, uh, first yeah. time co-host uh, with you. Um, I think it's really interesting. I, I've, I guess a couple of other sort of foundational questions. Um, why the triangle in North Carolina and how, how many students are you, you working with? It, it looks from, uh, and I know from having spoken with you that you're starting sort of small and focused. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if you just talk a little bit about the, the motivation behind that. Yeah, so the, the triangle was kind of a happy accident. We decided to move here for, uh, you know, life, life reasons. 
And then when we, we decided to, to found District C, it turns out that this region is, uh, is, is really kind of the perfect uh, Petri dish for this kind of thing. Um, Durham is a very like up and coming, gritty city, positive can-do attitude. Raleigh has tons of startups and, and a large innovation community. Chapel Hill is a great university town, of course. Then you've got NC State and Duke. There's a lot of energy around education and a lot of energy around innovation. This area is growing really quickly. So all the right conditions have come together. The one thing we find about this area is that we rarely get a no from any conversation that we come out of. Usually it's like, let me introduce you to someone or yes, I love this. Let me, let me see what I can do to help. That positive can-do spirit is really, really important. To the question about numbers, we have uh, worked with 105 students over the course of the last year or so. We have another 32 uh, coming into the program this fall. I think what, what, what we believe is those numbers, um, you know, we feel proud of them given the work that we've done so far, but they're, they're, it's, it's too small a number of students. Um, this, we feel like every student should have access to this kind of programming and this kind of learning. So this, um, the, the coaching institute program that we've developed and we launched this summer, um, you know, through which we train teachers over the course of a year to implement District C and to coach the District C program is our way of thinking about how do we, how do we get this program out to more students and accessible to, to every, uh, every student in the region. And, and the goal is to develop kind of a regional footprint model that we can then replicate in other, other regions. But it's, it's hyper-local um, and, and like the, the relationships in the community are super important to this model, obviously, especially the business relationships, so. Yeah, it's great. I, and I think, um, you know, the, the 105 students you've worked with, like uh, assuming that you have done well in your work with them, I'm gonna take that on faith, that, uh, that that is something to be proud of. And we talked to, Ben Nancy Sanchez on the call here before, Dan, you probably remember from a previous engagement, the Kaplan Education Foundation. And, you know, that's mm -hmm. working with in a really intense way with a small number of students. And um, while I, I um, uh, appreciate applaud and, and uh, um, uh, encourage you on your aspirations to go bigger, I think that the small does allow you to get really deeply engaged with people, which is, which is a different kind of approach than a lot of, um, save the world kind of startups are, are taking. So I think that's, I think that's good. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, one thing we decided early on was that if we, if, if we had aspirations to, um, to kind of reach a larger scale, we knew we were going to have to spend a lot of time in the work ourselves, learning, learning how to coach students, learning what student reactions would be, learning what their misconceptions would be, what their gaps in understanding would be. So spending that time in the first year coaching ourselves, so literally spending hundreds of hours with, with these students, making all the mistakes that we made to figure out how, how does this model, how is this actually gonna work? And how do we train other adults to adopt this work? So, you know, to your point, I think we, we feel good about the time we've spent like in the, in the trenches learning how to do this. And, and we're just now getting to the point where we feel like, okay, we've got enough understanding of this, enough experience we can start to bring some other folks into the into the process. Yeah, that's great. What is um, what what does success for you look like? I mean, you, you quoted a number of numbers uh, of statistics around uh, sort of work ready students and you know the percentage of time devoted to this. And I imagine a short answer is seeing some of those numbers change in a positive way. But you know, if you're defining success for for District C, what what does it look like in you know 
two, three years, five years, 10 years, like what, what, what will make you feel like, you know, this has been a, a real success? Yeah, we have, we have kind of a big, um, big, hairy, audacious goal, which is by 2025, we want every graduating senior uh, in a four county region in the triangle to have had a district C experience. Um, uh, you know, as a means to a larger goal, which is we would love to put the triangle on the, on the national map as a leader in, in talent development, homegrown talent development. I think at a, at a micro scale, um, it's interesting, we thought a lot about measurement and how you measure the impact of this kind of work. Uh, we talked with a guy uh, named Jonathan Plucker. He's a, he's a professor of talent development up at um, uh, Johns Hopkins. And, and he specializes in like, how, how do you measure the competencies that, that really uh, characterize true talent in this day and age? What he said to us was, look, you could, I could write you an assessment on how to measure, uh, on create, measuring creativity or analytical thinking, but that's not authentic to the work. What you really want to measure is, do, do, do the students and, and the work that they do, does that actually have an impact on the businesses that, that you're working with? So I think in an authentic way, at a micro level, tracking each business and asking them like, is this, is this experience adding value to you? Are you implementing any part of these solutions? And if they are, um, you know, that's a good indication to us that, uh, okay, the work that these students are doing is adding value to the community um, in a way that, you know, they weren't having a chance to do previously. And is in, in some ways a measure of the success of the experience for the students. So we've got those kind of big, um, kind of scale metrics in mind, but are also kind of looking in a detailed way at the, at the impact of the work uh, on a kind of squad by squad or business by business basis. Well, look, I hope uh, your goals are hairier and more <laughs> audacious uh, as you achieve ones along the way. I, I, I wish you a lot of luck there. Uh, one other question I had, um, I think Mike, Mike, Mike is probably champing, that's how you spell it, champing to, to ask the question too, but I'm gonna get one more in. Um, the, uh, Sorry, more moment of levity. District C, is it because like you prototyped District A and it didn't work, District B and it didn't work? Is there a District 9 tie-in? Is it the sequel, the District sequel to District 9? What, what, uh, what, where's, where, what's the deal with District C? Well, there's certainly some truth to the iterative uh, nature of the process. So I, I will concede that fact. Um, uh, we're trying to build a new conception of what it means to be a school district. So most, a lot of times you think, you know, most school districts are these central bodies that have all these schools under them that are siloed entities that have you know, a certain amount of independence. We really feel like, again, um, to appropriately prepare our students for this and the future economy, everyone in the community needs to have a stake in, in the development of that talent. So we think of the district as broader than, than, than just the school folks. They have a central and critical role, of course, but businesses need to be held accountable. Like this is your future talent. You need to have a stake in this. You need to act. Um, our innovation centers and co-working spaces, you need, to, you need to host our events in your space, and, and, and they do. Uh, funders, um, higher ed institutions, this is your pool of recruits. You need to have a stake in this work. So uh, we define the district as being much, much broader than a typical school district, which is how we think of the word. And then uh, the C, we, uh, we use to stand for collective, collective work, which is a very um, strong focus and emphasis in the work that we do with students is really teaching them how you work with others to, to produce positive outcomes. They're used to individual achievement and, and focusing on themselves and their own grades and their own progress. 
and they hate group work. You know, if you, if you know kids in high school, ask them, like, do you, do you like working in teams? They will say, no, it's, it's terrible. So we're trying to teach them a different way in that regard, which is where the, um, where the, the, the C for collective comes in. You were talking about uh, the importance of uh, teaching, uh, teaching young, uh, young people how to work collaborative, collaboratively in diverse groups. Um, another trend that we've been watching on the show is the importance of uh, intergenerational, uh, intergenerational diversity. Um, in some ways, that's part of the value that the, the organizations are getting in this program, uh, if I understand you right. It's that you know, typically uh, even a, an entrepreneurial startup maybe, maybe is sourced with some diversity. It's pretty unlikely that they're going to have access to, uh, to rising uh, high school students. And uh, I imagine that is part of uh, the value that is provided uh, to the organizations you work with. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good insight. And I, I think it's very true um, based on the feedback we've gotten from businesses. Of course, a, a 16, 17 year old thinks about the world very differently from a 32 year old entrepreneur or even a 25 year old entrepreneur. So, so having that uh, diverse perspective um, um, is, is really a unique and powerful experience for the business owner or leader, especially when the business is trying to reach that demographic of students. So when, when a 17 year old is actually the user of a product that the business sells or a service that the business, um, that the business has, getting that perspective from a, a group of four uh, 17 year olds is really powerful. I can give, I can give an example. There's a, a great business partner that, that we have uh, it's called Fit for 90. Um, it's founded by a guy named John Cohn, a former professional soccer player. He has developed uh, uh, this technology that essentially allows teams and players to monitor their fitness um, in a way that will prevent uh, repetitive use injuries, uh, which is the most common injury um, in athletics. So he was trying to launch this new app as part of his, his product offering. And he was trying to sell to high school athletes and, and their families. So having two C-squads of students, four students each, think about how to do that, how to design the product in a way that would be engaging and motivating for a 16, 17-year-old was the perfect kind of user testing experience for John uh, and his partner, Mike, uh, through this experience. So I think you're completely, completely right about that. And just another note on, on diversity in, in general and how um, groups of students learn to work with, with uh, peers who, who come from different backgrounds and different perspectives. I think a lot of times in, in education and, and outside of education, we think about um, you know, equity movements and diversity movements in terms of providing access and opportunity to those who are, are, tend to be more disadvantaged, which is, those are worthy goals and important goals. We have a slightly uh, a different take on, on, on this, which is we need to be bringing all populations of students together so that um, you know, the kid from the independent school is working with the kid from the charter school who's working with the public school student in a rural community who's working with a traditional uh, public school student from an urban community. Bringing those four students together that really tests your ability to leverage the diverse strengths and perspectives and backgrounds of your teammates. 
Mm -hmm. um, too often our students are working in these school silos where they've known students for four, six, eight years. And they take on these habitual roles and, and, and their peers assume things about them uh, that don't allow them to break out and, and, and have new experiences and, and, and learn from others. So we're really trying to bring uh, all of these populations of students together to work together. And so far it's been, it's been working well. And what students will tell us is my favorite part about this program is the fact that I'm meeting people that, that um, I didn't know from schools I'd never heard of and learning from them and working with them and collaborating with them and, and generating ideas with them. That's a really p powerful part of the experience for us. Yeah, definitely. And uh, the, I love the sports analogies and, uh, and even calling, uh, calling this group a uh, C squad uh, mm -hmm. connotes a little, a little bit of a, a team, uh, team sports kind of dynamic. Um, I was curious about the C squad, uh, you know, particularly as it relates to um, uh, group dynamics and, and teaching groups how to work together. Sounds like you've done some thinking around uh, the size of the group and how the groups are assembled. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, like what, what kind of thinking goes in? What kind of um, uh, maybe uh, philo philosophical or, or, or yeah. uh, intellectual frameworks or, or, or research you're, you're kind of building uh, the, the team design uh, component from? Yeah. Really good question. So in terms of forming the teams, um, we try to make them as diverse as possible in every way possible. So the first is bringing four students together from four different schools um, and four different communities. Um, and then we look at racial diversity, gender diversity, even um, uh, like to trying to pair uh, different strengths uh, and work preferences together. Um, so in terms of formulating the teams as diverse as possible in as many ways as possible that, 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 that we can. Um, in terms of coaching the teamwork, we spend a lot of time on uh, trust building and the development of psychological safety. There's a lot of great research and Google has been very involved in this as, as they've looked to optimize their team performance on how you like what are the right working conditions to get the most productive outcomes that you can out of a team? What they found overwhelmingly was that um, psychological safety, the ability to feel comfortable taking risks, saying, uh, saying things that, that maybe you're not uh, totally certain about, putting ideas out there that you're not totally confident in, and knowing that your teammates are gonna have your back and that you can do so in a safe environment. Um, Building that trust and that psychological safety is, is kind of the key ingredient to high performing teams. There's a ton of academic research on it and Google has adopted it and is running with it. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of time with our student teams at the beginning um, going through a process of building team commitments to each other. Um, and so they will say things, uh, they will commit to each other, for example, like if, you know, if, if one of us misses a meeting, we are not going to prejudge as to why you missed that meeting. We're going to give each other the benefit of the doubt. We all lead busy lives and busy schedules. So that's a way for them to build trust. We will make sure that the notes are available to everyone in the group so that someone can catch up quickly if need be. So getting these group norms and, and group commitments together from the beginning is a way for them to start to build trust and, and start to establish that psychological safety. Yeah. The other thing that we do is we work a lot through the entire program and especially kind of front loading on how, how to ask good questions so that you can understand and know someone else to the best of your ability. So um, a lot of times we tend to get stuck in our own heads 
and think about the thing that we want to say next and to try to refine our own perspective or opinion or advocate for our beliefs. Mm -hmm. The true power of, of teamwork comes when you're able to ask a great question of a teammate to understand their perspective um, and listen and be curious and, uh, you know, oh, that's really interesting. Can you say more about, about how you're experiencing that? Mm -hmm. When you can get all of those ideas out on the table, that's when you're leveraging the power of the four people in your group. Too often you have you know, one or two students or one or two team members, even in a professional environment, that kind of drift into the background because they don't have the time, space, um, or, or confidence to get their voices heard. So a lot of the group work that we do with students is how do you create those conditions so that every voice has a place at the table? And that leads to you know, one plus one plus one plus one equaling six or seven. And that's when the powerful ideas uh, emerge. One quick follow-up. Just on four uh, and the idea of uh, four, four, uh, four students in a C squad. And I love saying squad, by the way. It's one of yeah. my favorite uh, collective nouns. So you, so you had me at C squad. <laughs> but um, but uh, why four? Uh, was, that, was that based on research or based on uh, your experience? Or uh, what, what landed you on, on that size group? Yeah, so we started with just kind of a guess. Uh, so we decided for the first round, let, let's try four students and see what happens. And what actually, um, in our first ever pilot cohort of students, we had 11 students. So we did two groups of four and one group of three. Mm -hmm. And what we found was um, both worked well. Uh, three worked just as well as four. Uh, and in some respects, maybe even a little bit better. There's uh, um, you know, more opportunity to have your voice heard. Um, but we felt like just through observing, you know, again, hundreds of hours of these team meetings and watching students interact, that uh, five would be too many. Um, mm -hmm. We have not experimented with five because we just, uh, I think through our experience working with fours and threes, have determined that, especially watching the fours, adding one more voice to the group, um, it, would, it would start to, to uh, you know, be, uh, you know, competing for time in a way that might be unproductive. The other thing we found in, in looking at the Google research was that they found that sm smaller teams um, tended to be more productive than, than kind of the larger groups. And uh, I think they were working with more than four people in a team, but um, the trends that they saw smaller definitely better better than larger so yeah it remi reminds me a little bit of uh jeff bezos uh two pizza rule yeah and, uh you know you get four teenagers they could probably knock out two pizzas uh, <laughs> but they're also i mean frequently the, the the full team is a mix of the the c squad plus the the partner employees too right so like in aggregate the the cross-functional group is probably closer to a typical five to eight person, uh, two pizza team. And if you're bringing too big a squad from the, from the district C side, you know, pretty soon you start to hit that tipping point of 10 or more, uh, voices, you know, even eight starts to get big. And, yeah. uh, that's sort of a classic, uh, group dynamics thing where you want to try to keep that, uh, keep that group dynamic small. Yeah. I love the, I love the two pizza team. Um, yeah, you add in, if you have four students, you add in a district C coach, who is not officially part of the problem-solving team, but is you know in the in the virtual room most mm -hmm. of the time with the students, um, and then for the launch and the pitch event, you've got one or two people from the business. You quickly start to get to that that eight eight nine number. So um, yeah, keeping it at four, I think, is the way we're gonna 
we're gonna kind of continue on. Yeah, I was ready for you to go to five because of the basketball metaphor, but yeah. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, that uh, that makes sense. That would allow us to be very parallel, wouldn't it? Lots of, lots of topics and lots to, to follow up on, but I had a question around the training of the, the coaches moving forward. So you're talking about the, the getting teachers from typical schools to be District C help, helpers, right? Teachers. What, what's the focus there? Is it a focus to have them bring it into their specific classroom to be a representative in their district? Or, or how are they going to be implemented going forward? Or are you bring them into District C to be part of your collective? Yeah, good question. So the ultimate goal is that a school who opts into the District C program gets trained up through a few teachers to implement the District C learning experience as a course in their school. So we, last spring, we piloted a semester-long version of the C-Squad program, which was essentially a full semester of C-Squad broken down into three problem cycles. So we had 16 students from four different schools and each problem cycle, they, they had different teammates and a different business problem that they were focused on. And that made up the, the semester experience. The problem cycles got progressively longer. So three weeks, four weeks, and then six weeks. And what we saw was the level of work increased pretty dramatically uh, from one to two and two to three. So the goal would be, um, if you're a teacher in our coaching institute, you are getting ready to implement District C as a course at your school, and you become the coach of that course at your school. Now, the, the, the um, kind of structural complication is that there are two non-negotiables for uh, the program. One is all of the problems have to be real problems uh, and current problems from real organizations. Uh, you, can't, you can't do case studies or hypotheticals. Um, students, are highly motivated when the work is real and they know they can impact real people and real businesses through their, through their work. So that's a non-negotiable. The second non-negotiable is the teams have to be diverse teams. Um, and, and the primary way that we create that diversity, as we talked about, was cross-registering students from different schools. Mm -hmm. So part of the support that we will uh, offer to these schools, you know, we will spend an academic year training their teachers we will support them in implementing their pilot version of District C in the spring of that year. And then we'll provide ongoing support by partnering them with our other schools and our network of business partners so that they can focus on coaching their students. So when up and running, a teacher may be um, coaching five squads of students, um, but only five of those students will actually be from his or her school. The other 15 will come from schools from around, around the region. So we have a, a couple of school districts in the region uh, that we're working with to try to you know, support them in figuring out how you implement. Um, and it's the leaders who are really willing to think about, okay, we want to do this program. Yes, there are structural obstacles. We can get past those. Let's work together to figure that out. Those are the folks we, we wanna be working with. And then on the teacher side, we, we, um, we want the best teachers in this region. We want the ones who are saying, I, I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to think about new ways of doing this work. I'm highly committed to preparing my students for the future economy. I'm all into this stuff. Those are the folks that we want in this program. And right now we're recruiting uh, 48 of the Triangle's best high school students for our uh, coaching institute that launches in the summer of 2019. So... Um, so that's the idea with, with, with uh, you know, supporting teachers in schools. 
I also like the focus on real life problems, uh, which, uh, you know, you, you've really described throughout, Dan. And um, I imagine sometimes the squad doesn't successfully solve the problem. You know, like that's something that we all know in business, like getting one of those new economy skills that, uh, that we all need to learn is how to deal with failure and how to deal mm -hmm. with complex problems that don't always have uh, easy answers. Um, how do you address that as part of uh, the part of the education that District C is providing? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. It's it's real work, right? In the real world, if you're on a work team and you bring a, a proposal to management, sometimes that thing gets thrown in the trash or it gets put on the shelf or it never gets implemented or uh, it's criticized, what, what have you. Um, I think too often in school, we have, um, you know, we work on a compliance or completion basis. So here's your project, work until you're done with it. And then when, when you're done with it, you get your A and, you know, pat on the head and, and everyone's happy, right? That's not the way that the real world works. That's not the way that real problems are solved. So part of the experience for students is walking into a pitch session or a proposal session or an idea session with a business partner. and it's actually really fun to, to, to watch, experience, watch students experience uh, a moment where the business says, I just, I don't like that idea, or I've tried it and it doesn't work. So what else do you have for me? That's part of it, right? How are you going to respond in that moment? How are you going to pivot? What else do you have? What other ideas have you considered? Uh, what's your argument for why you think it is the right solution? So preparing students for those moments and, and putting them in, in, in giving them the experience that they need um, to recognize that that's all part of it. You know, having them actually go through it, I think is the most important thing. So um, it's a very real part of, of the work. I'm glad you mentioned it. What we're, again, what we're really happy to see is that businesses are actually getting value out of this, even if they're not implementing full solutions. Sure. Um, you know, nine times out of 10, by our stats and by our, our research with the businesses, they're able to take parts of the solutions and, and put them to work, which for the students is I think more powerful than a grade or, or you know, getting, getting points on an assignment. I mean, that's, that's real value that they're adding to the community. Sure, yeah, and uh, I love that you're thinking about the future of work, which is one of the main real themes of, of this, this podcast and something we've been talking about uh, a lot. Um, any thoughts on, uh, on that? Any sort of uh, assumptions that are kind of baked into your philosophy around where you see uh, the future work heading? It, it sounds like if I'm, I'm listening correctly uh, and demonstrating that EQ that we're talking about, um, <laughs> it, it may be more entrepreneurial and collaborative uh, are some of the, some of the, the assumptions or, or some of the, 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 maybe the underlying philosophy or, or, or belief that, that District C has. Are there other, are, are those ideas right? Are there other thoughts that you have about the future of work? Uh, the, I think our listeners would, would, be, would be curious. Yeah, and, I, and, and you all know this from, from your work at Kaplan and, and the, you know, all of the, uh, the evolution of the, of the working environment at Kaplan. Um, you know, two, I think two primary assumptions that we have about the future of, of work just from uh, kind of tracking this over the last few years is that um, work will uh, more and more consist of solving problems that have not been solved. The more um, kind of rote 
or kind of non-cognitive oriented work will be done by machines and computers and, and, and uh, artificial intelligence. So the real value in human capital will be in uh, a person's ability to tackle novel problems. The second thing is given the, the, the pace of the economy and the pace of change, um, executive level uh, leaders will have fewer and fewer answers to a company's most vexing problems. And so they will rely more and more on the people who make up their teams to solve those problems. So, um, and you see this in you know, Deloitte's uh, human capital report every year, there's a large focus on the emergence of nimble uh, uh, autonomous teams who are able to make decisions and, and uh, you know, drive the work of the company on behalf of everyone else in the organization. So a team-based work environment is gonna be at the center of the future of work and solving complex problems. And, and that's, that's what we hear from employers when we talk with them. That's what we see in the surveys and in the research and in labor trends. And so that was really the basis of building the model that, that, that we've built. And I'd, I'd be really curious how you guys see that in your own work every day. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, we have we have a lot of thoughts. But uh, I, since we don't have you every week, uh, <laughs> I, I, th I think I might, I might try to just get a little more out of you. While, we'll catch, while... Yeah, we'll catch up in a. Yeah, I'd love to do that for thought, sure. Yeah. Um, but um, just tying it back to the the basketball analogy at the top, uh, and uh, you know the idea of uh, you know trying to get teams that can work effectively together. Uh, it sounds like it's maybe not just the ability to do the 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 three-point shot which uh which i, I just want to sort of explore a little more with you what mm -hmm. what is what in fact is the three-point shot nowadays um but it's more like what are the fundamentals that maybe have always been true uh maybe the the ability to work effectively as a as as part of a team some of those socio-emotional collaborative skills maybe that's always been part maybe that's maybe just basketball fundamentals but like some of the new economy stuff is more like the, the three point shooting. Um, do you see it that way? Like, are there, are there some, some aspects of district C that are, are sort of teaching some of the fundamentals that are, that maybe have been true really throughout uh, really maybe the last 50, 50 plus years. And then uh, some of them are genuinely unique to, to a changing landscape. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like which, which things are maybe, uh, you know, historically true and then which, which things are, are actually sort of how the game, uh, the game has changed in some fundamental ways? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, again, kind of citing, citing some of the, uh, the research that's out there and, and having talked with some businesses, I think that the three-point shot is, you know, working in diverse teams to solve complex problems. I think you make a great point. Uh, you know, haven't those things always been important? And I think to some extent, yes, I think we will see um, a greater and greater emphasis on those things um, in the years to come and have already seen, seen that trend. In school, we tend to focus on um, individual achievement as opposed to collective process and content acquisition as opposed to complex problem solving. So, uh, and that's not to say every school, and that's not to say every teacher, there's, there's a lot of great movement out there and a lot of great thinking on how to, how to kind of redirect our focus. But, um, you know, part of, part of what we need to do is, is figure out together in partnership with schools, 
how do we break down the, the structural obstacles so that we can, we can implement some more innovative ways to addressing and helping students develop how to work in teams to solve problems. So, um, and it's certainly not to say that uh, the, 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 the current basketball game is exclusively uh, focused on three-pointers. You need to have a good two-point game and a good three-point game, but the two-point game is no longer sufficient. I think that that is clear. Um, students need to have uh, strong literacy and numeracy skills. Certainly there is content that they need to, 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 to acquire to, to support their solving of complex problems, but we need, to, we need to build in this whole other layer or skill or competency uh, um, so that students are adequately prepared for their futures. Yeah, make, makes sense. I know we're, uh, we're, we're pretty much at time. I love, uh, I love the sports metaphors. I wanted to understand what, uh, what's uh, the analogy for the length of the team's shorts, but unfortunately <laughs> we don't have time uh, to, to explore that idea. But, uh, but yeah, thanks, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for making the time, Dan. We'd love to, to, continue, to, uh, to continue this conversation. Uh, if folks are curious about District C or, um, uh, or just generally the, the, the types of things that you're talking about, uh, mm -hmm. what's, the best, what's the best thing for them to do? Where should they go? What should they look for? How do, how do they learn more? Yeah, so the, the website is districtc.co, districtc.co. Um, we've got descriptions of the programs. Uh, we've got some, uh, a page called the latest where you can see, uh, keep up with things that are happening. And of course, a contact form. You can get in touch with us if you'd like to help out. We're a nonprofit. We're always looking for uh, funders. We're always looking for business partners. We're always looking for ambassadors. So um, uh, you used the word movement before. We see it that way. And uh, a movement lives and dies by, uh, by its, its numbers of ambassadors. So, um, so thanks for the opportunity to, to, to give the website. We'd love to hear from you. Dan Gonzalez, co-founder of District C. Thanks so much for the time. We hope and uh, I think we can urge you to come back again uh, on the podcast in the future. Uh, appreciate it here. As always, folks, uh, find us on Twitter at Trending and Ed. Same on Facebook. Share us with a friend. Share us with a colleague. Leave a rating over there on iTunes as well as a comment. Be happy to read it here on the podcast. Until next time, you've been listening to Trending in Education. 